Welcome to the Holistic High Performance Podcast with your host, Daniel Christofferson. All right. Today, I'm really excited to welcome my next guest, Melanie Roach. She is the mother of five kids. She was a 2008 Olympian in weightlifting in the Beijing Games, and she's owned a gymnastic gym for about 20 years. I was really pleased to work with Melanie uh, starting in 2014 as she made her bid for the 2016 Olympics at age 40. So um, welcome to the show, Melanie. Thank you, Dan. Happy to be here. So you've been an athlete for a long time, kind of going back even before the weightlifting, you were a gymnast. Yeah. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that and yeah, what that yeah. did for you? Well, you know, as a young girl, I, I watched gymnastics on the TV, watching Mary Lou Retton at the Olympics and 1980, I actually came into my mom and told her I was going to go to the Olympics someday. And, you know, as a mom now uh, of five kids, like you mentioned, I, I remember my mom just kind of nodding and chuckling a little. Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> and uh, I, I just enjoyed watching gymnastics. So I started practicing a little bit. We came from a small town, Dallas, Oregon, and they didn't have a gymnastics gym there. So I just did gymnastics with neighbors and friends in the backyard and then when I was 12, my mom took me to a gym in Salem, which was about a 30-minute drive from our house. Okay. I discovered that I really loved gymnastics. That was definitely my first love. So how long did you do gymnastics then? I competed in gymnastics from the age of 12 until I graduated from high school at age 18. And it was actually an injury in gymnastics when I was a junior in high school where I fell from the uneven bars and I dislocated my elbow and I had to have reconstructive surgery following my senior year. And it was that, you know, rehab where I was doing basic upper body movements for about six months before I started weightlifting. And I think uh, that was a big part of why I was so prepared to make the transition from gymnastics to weightlifting. How was that transition for you? I mean, you're, you set this intention that you were going to go to the Olympics and, you know, you fell in love with gymnastics and you had the story of like, hey, I'm going to be a gymnast and that's going to be my avenue to get to get there and then to have this injury happen and, you know, kind of end your gymnastics right. career in that way. Right. Yeah, that was really devastating. Of course, I think every gymnast thinks they're going to go to the, the Olympics. <laughs> and uh, as a, a former gymnastics gym owner, mm -hmm. I understand really the small percentage of gymnasts that actually have the opportunity to compete at the highest level in that sport is very, very small. And as I went through my high school career, it became very clear that I probably wasn't going to the Olympics. <laughs> and so um, I did want to compete in college, but again, it's very hard to get into college in gymnastics. So after that injury, I was, I struggled a little bit my, my freshman year in college I was working a couple different jobs and I started coaching gymnastics on a volunteer basis. And I, it was actually at a gymnastics meet where I was introduced to a judge who was on the national weightlifting team. And okay. he is the one who invited me to come try weightlifting. And I remember this very uh, distinctly. I, I looked at her legs and they looked very strong. And I was super intimidated and I just said, oh no, I'm okay. Thanks. I'm super busy. <laughs> and I, I just kind of blew her off a little bit and I walked away and continued going to school and coaching and a few months went by and I saw her again. And now this is like April of 1994. Again, it was a freshman in college. I was about 19 and, 
And she asked me again, she said, Melanie, I really think you should try weightlifting. I think you'd really like it. And there was a, a local gym called the Calpian Weightlifting Club. It was in Sumner, Washington here and only about 15 minutes from my house in Auburn. And I showed up one Saturday and walked into the gym and met coach John Thresh for the first time. And I remember looking at him and just saying, Hey coach, I, I'm not interested in competing. I just want to get in shape. And of course he's like, yeah, okay. And uh, six weeks later, he had me in my first competition. <laughs> so, <laughs> that didn't really work out, did it? <laughs> so it turns out here we are in what, 2020. And mm. I love competing. That's, that's amazing. I absolutely love competing and weightlifting. Yeah. And it's taken you many, many places around the world to be able to do that. So here we are, 90s, you start out weightlifting, you're in your first local competition. Kind of what was the progression from there? You know, it was pretty quick, actually. I qualified for a national meet called the American Open, which was taking place later that year. And I snatched around 60 kilos, which is 132 in pounds. And I didn't really understand at the time that that was a pretty good amount to lift when you're first starting, especially when I was in a weight class of like 120 mm-hmm. and 20 pounds. And, um, I showed up at the American open and I ended up getting third place. And which is kind of funny as I look back, I was actually really mad that I didn't win. <laughs> yeah, I was talking to another athlete on another show and they were like, you know, everybody wants to be on the top of the podium in first place. Yeah. Third place is usually the like, Hey, I'm, I made it to the podium, which is good. Right. And second place is usually the place that most people are like, ah, yeah. you know, something was just off enough that yeah. didn't allow me to be on the top. Right. So the fact that you made it to third just shows how competitive you are. And, and that I wasn't happy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I look back now and I'm like, man, I can't believe I wasn't grateful for that. But that's how, you know, when you come from gymnastics, where I think it's a little bit different, you do expect to win. That's why you, that's why you compete, right? But, well, and gymnastics has intense training. I mean, how how much were you in the gym doing gymnastics? Well, when you're at your highest levels, right? It's level eight through ten. You're you're training every day, Monday through Friday, and often Saturdays, and it's anywhere from three to four, maybe even five hours a night. So it's so a huge it's commitment. A huge commitment, and so you took that dedication with you, and I imagine you probably applied that to your weightlifting training as well. Yes, I would say that was a a great training ground for me and prepared me. But I honestly can say it wasn't until I started lifting weights, probably a couple years in that I really learned the cause and effect. If I put in this much work, I'm going to see these results. So I do thank weightlifting for that. I kind of regret as I look back at gymnastics, if I would have had that knowledge when I was competing in gymnastics, I think that would have been a game changer for me. Uh huh. So here you are, you've competed uh, on a national level now at the American Open. Uh, You've taken third place. Where do you go from there? Yeah, interesting, right? As I look back now, I think, why did I, I I had a hard time committing even after placing nationally. I disappeared for about a year and I would often come back to a message on my machine at home because that was back when we had answering machines. Uh Uh-huh. And Coach John would say, hey, you need to get back in the gym. We got to get ready for a meet. Uh, And I was just really busy and had some personal things happen where I I just couldn't commit. And it wasn't until uh, January of 1996 when I showed up in the gym and said, all right, John, I'm ready, ready to go. Let's commit to this. And of course, it was an exciting time. We got 
we made a lot of progress in 1996 and we did end up going to the American Open and winning that year. And in early 97, I went to my first nationals where I won and it was really awesome, right? Winning the national championships for the first time was amazing. It was actually in 1997 when they announced that women were going to make their debut in the 2000 Sydney Olympics, because prior to that, women weren't in the Olympics in weightlifting. So 97 was a big, big year for women weight, women's weightlifting. So you had a new new goal, Olympics 2000. Yes. Yes. I would say that was a very big, uh, pivotal point for my uh, my mindset and my focus. So you're ready to play on the world stage and life had different plans for you. Tell me a little bit about what happened there. Yeah. So 97 actually was awesome. I did go to my first international competition where I didn't perform as well on the platform as I had in training. I look back now and reflect on this and I can see that I lacked the mental strength to compete. And so I came back um, in 98 and I had experienced some personal setbacks where I ended up in a divorce. And so I put my whole heart and soul into just training. And I was still coaching gymnastics at the time. And it was in early 98 that I went to the, the, my second national championships. And I clean and jerked a 113, 249 and a half pounds clean and jerk, which made me the first woman in U.S. history to clean and jerk double body weights. So that was kind of exciting. It's a and big accomplishment. It was, it was awesome. It was an amazing experience. And it put us as the number one ranked woman on the U.S. team. So you're, you know, roughly two years out, year and a half out from the Olympics. So it was really great timing. Mm-hmm. Well, the end of 98 came, I went to the world championships where we expected to do very well, medal, potentially win, um, maybe even set an official world record. And I went out for my first clean and jerk and I missed the clean. Uh, the clean is where you pull the bar from the floor to your shoulders and then you jerk it over your head with uh, straight arms. And I missed the clean somehow and landed on my rear. And I was super thrown off. I had never missed a clean before. Yeah. And like I said, when I get into competition internationally, I kind of struggled. And I kind of fell apart after that. I missed the, the last two attempts. And I came away with no medal. So early 99 comes and I start struggling with my relationship with my coach. I'm having some eating issues. My relationship with food just became very unhealthy because after making weight, I knew I didn't have to make weight for a while. So I would just eat and eat and eat. And it just became this yo-yo situation. It was just, again, maybe not an eating disorder per se, but a very unhealthy relationship with food. Put weight on to help you train more, but then you got to cut to take it off to go to compete. And uh, yeah, so you get into a cycle and it it really does disrupt your body's hormones and rhythms and everything about that. Right. I really struggled. I really struggled. I struggled to make weight. Uh, Obviously, I was putting on more muscle. So uh, 99 Pan American Games came that summer. And unfortunately, I dislocated my elbow on my first clean and jerk. Mm -hmm. So where I was supposed to medal once again, I came away with an injury and no medal. So 99 Worlds comes later that year and I go and I perform well, but I had to compete in the upper weight class because I was having such a hard time making weight. 
And uh, it was actually earlier in that year that I ended up getting married to my second husband. I've been married to 22 and a half years almost. Congratulations. Thank you. And so it was in early 2000 where things were coming together. My training was going well and we were getting ready for the Olympic trials. And I went to squat in practice and I hunched over just a little bit because I was lacking focus, I think. And I felt a twinge go down the back of my leg and I heard some popping. And next thing you know, I can barely stand up. And it was literally that fast that I was done. So I I showed up at the Olympic trials hoping that I could still compete. And uh, I this was four to six weeks before the trials. Uh And I tried the first portion, which is called the snatch portion, where we put the weight overhead in one motion. And I had to withdraw at that point. And I sat in the stands and I watched as the women that I had beaten for a couple years prior went on to make the Olympic team. It was brutal. So once again, mindset, how did you recover from that? I'm both physically and mentally. It was not easy. It was a very emotional time for us, including my husband and my my mom and, and my coach and teammates. Because you've invested a lot into this at this point. I yeah. mean, it's, it's yeah. your time, your money to pay for coaching. It's your money to go travel to these competitions. You've told your mom you're going to the Olympics and here you were almost there. Oh, so close. I'm considered an alternate for the 2000 team, but I I couldn't even watch the Olympics that year, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I didn't even watch the opening ceremonies, which I had watched every year that the Olympics was on prior to that. So fortunately, my husband was running for election and I put my whole heart into that, helping him get elected. And then we got pregnant with our first child and so it got kind of exciting after that. Yeah. Did you continue once your body recovered? Did you continue with the weightlifting? So my back continued to be a problem for about seven years. And I guess it was a, a roughly six years before I, I discovered Dr. Bray, who does surgeries down in Marina Del Rey. But mm-hmm. it was three babies in. So we had Ethan about a year. Well, I guess nine months after the Olympic trials. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, then when he was only six months old, we found out we were pregnant with our second son, Drew. And then when he was not very old, we got pregnant with our third child, which was a daughter, Camille. Mm-hmm. So um, I didn't lift weights during that time. We were pretty busy having children. Your mom of three? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And we opened up our gymnastics gym. gym. So I had been teaching gymnastics. I had had my own business since... I guess it was 1994, Mm -hmm. but we didn't actually open a brick and mortar until I think Ethan was a couple years old and we decided to open our own facility. So you've got three kids, you you own a gym now, your husband's a politician and tell me (laughs) what got you back into weightlifting. Right. So I, I make a joke about it, but I honestly believe weightlifting is like a drug. It gets in your blood and it never leaves. Uh-huh. And I do believe there are a lot of sports like that. With weightlifting, even in my mid-40s, I'm going to be 46 here in, in about a month. Even when I, I think about weightlifting right now, I could go compete tomorrow. 
Like I crave it. It never describe that feeling for me. What does what does weightlifting do? What 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 happens in your body when you think about it? I mean, I'm watching you on the video right now, and you 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 just light up, and you are so giddy. (laughs) I am. I'm like a 12 year old, right? And yes, you are. Think about it. I'm like, okay, let's go. I'm ready. Life does have a way of of keeping me busy. And I mean, I have five kids now. We have more to talk about. But it was in 2005 when Camille was only four weeks old, when I, maybe six weeks old, I sat, I came downstairs and I plopped myself next to my husband who was writing in his journal. And I just stared at him and waited for him to look at me. And finally he looks up and he's like, what? <laughs> like, I've been thinking, I have an idea and he's nervous because the last time I said, honey, I have an idea. We opened up a gymnastics gym. Yep. So he was a little scared. And I just said, I, I want to go back to the Olympics. I want to try to make the 2008 Olympic team. This is 2005, mind you. Mm-hmm. And so it's not a lot of time. And he just didn't even hesitate. He was like, okay, let's do it. I was so excited. Right. So I called my coach, John, and I said, John, I'm back. I want to come back. And of course, <laughs> he was like, sweet. When do we start? So um, it was pretty fast. We got in the gym and, and, you know, that's actually when we were hit by a pretty big blow with our son being diagnosed with autism. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a, a real big like pause. We had to stop for a second and figure out what just happened. You know, when a, a doctor says to you, especially back in 2005, mm-hmm your son has autism. It's like so matter of fact. And so I hate to say dry, but it it was just like no big deal to him. And I didn't fully understand what that meant. I had coached kids who were older, who were on the spectrum, who I would come up to them and put my hands on their eyes to get them to look at me. And when they connected, I could feel it, but I hadn't seen a toddler who had autism. Yeah, uh, and I I didn't fully understand what that meant, but his diagnosis was life changing, and um, I'm thankful now. He's 18 and and still pretty nonverbal, but to be honest, he's the easiest one of our five. <laughs> <laughs> so he doesn't fight with his siblings. I say, buddy, it's time to get up and get ready for school, and he pops up and he gets in the shower. He's he's much more independent now than he ever was. But you know that was a real real big life changing experience for us. Mm-hmm. Especially after I had hired a manager to come and manage our gym, my coach had moved his weightlifting gym into our gymnastics facility, and we were already head down, ready to go. And yeah. so it was, it was another a, choice point. And so, did you sit down with your husband Dan again and have a conversation, or how did you make that choice? So it was amazing, actually. Everyone rallied, and we became a pretty tight knit group. Um, my mom retired early from her job. She actually worked for the Department of People with Disabilities, ironically, for Uh the state of Utah. And um, she retired early to come and live with us and help navigate that. Because of course, with all the different therapies that came along with that diagnosis, birth to three, speech therapy, OT, behavioral analysis, the UW Autism Center, there was just a lot happening. And then you add in oh yeah, I'm going to try and train now. <laughs> so it was a big deal. Coach was yeah. on board. I had a chiropractor. We definitely... You had a team of support yeah. and really a community a that supported you. Yep. Which is critical, right? As an yeah. athlete, if you want to reach the highest level, you have to surround yourself with a lot of people that support that dream. 
definitely. I mean, I see that all the time and, you know, and the people that you're training with too. I mean, that, that it really, when you walk into a weightlifting gym of people who are very competitive and very serious about it, it's palpable that the camaraderie, and while it is an individual sport, there is that everybody's cheering everybody else on. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. So you make the effort and you make some choice and yeah. 2008 comes around and you make it to the Olympics. Yeah. It's amazing as I, it, it happened pretty fast. I mean, at the time it didn't seem so fast, but mm-hmm. we made the national team almost right away. I would say within eight months, we were back on the national team in 2006. I again was introduced to Dr. Robert Bray down at Marina del Rey. California, mm-hmm. where he was amazing. He he did this special surgery where instead of cutting through the muscles, you fray. My recovery was amazing as well. I was back in the gym within five days and back doing new American records within about eight months, seven, eight months. And so 2007 came and I was able to go to the Pan American Games where I medaled. And it was like I had this opportunity to go back and right all those wrongs and compete on the international stage where I didn't fall apart. I put it together and I competed super well. I made all of my attempts in all three of my international competitions leading up to the Olympic Games. What do you think the difference was that time around? You know, I think it became this gratitude. As a young athlete, you just kind of go through the motions and you do these things and you think it's going to last forever. Well, when you're 33 years old, I was 33 when I competed at the mm-hmm. Olympics, 30 to 33, I was so grateful to have the opportunity to come back. And especially after the back pain was finally gone, I was just so thankful. And, you know, when Drew was first diagnosed, I really struggled and I was not necessarily depressed or had depression, but I was devastated. And I found myself reflecting so much on all the things he would never do and, you know, not get an opportunity to do, whether that was going to his own prom or driving a car, getting married, having children of his own, that kind of things. So I couldn't help but reflect on all those negative things. And then one day I went into my bishop's office and I was sitting across from him. And of course I appeared to have it all together, but he just said, so how are you doing? And it was like the floodgates opened and I just started crying. And I just said, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I envisioned being a mom. I was devastated. And he smiled at me and he said, no, Melanie, this is exactly what you signed up for. You can do this. Well, I immediately went back and started maybe looking for things that he could do instead of what he couldn't do. And this shift in perspective is what also brought me into the weight room with a different mindset. Yeah. I mean, that's so, so powerful. Um, And I hear that frequently of that. You were finally able to accept where you were instead of the story or the vision of where you thought you were going to be. Yes. Because they never match. Right. You know? And so when you can find that acceptance of like, oh, this is who I am. This is the life I have. And from that point, then you start to have choice. Right. And you made some choices and then that was able to translate into you fulfilling this intention you had set much earlier of finally making it to the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. The magic was that I would just go in every day and treat each training session like it was the last time I would ever lift weights. 
And I found the joy in every day, regardless of where I thought I should be, right? Or where Mm -hmm. I knew I had to get to get to the Olympics. And I just enjoyed it. And you put one day after the other, and all of a sudden you're, you're compiling all these amazing training sessions. Well, at the end of that, you're going to see progress. Well, by the time the 2008 Olympic trials came, I was in amazing condition. Everything came together at the right time. I showed up the Olympic trials. I secured my spot, my second clean and jerk. And I remember dropping the weight, knowing that that was it. I just made the team and I just was smiling from ear to ear. And I looked out and my whole family was there. My children were there. My coach, my chiropractor, my doctor even flew in from California to surprise me. Uh And it was magical. It was 14 years of dreaming and wanting and hoping for this moment. And there was so much gratitude because I didn't know I was going to have a chance to do it again. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just so thankful that I was able to go back and do it. You give me goosebumps, Melanie. <laughs> it I mean, makes I've me heard, so excited. I've heard I'm some so of the story before, <laughs> but it's the power of perseverance. And I mean, life is a process and, you know, that translates, what happens in our life translates into sports and what happens in sports translates into our life. Right. It's true. I feel like weightlifting prepared me to be a better mom and a better wife and I I sell houses. So the way I run my business, I still coach gymnastics and weightlifting and everything that I do, I try to treat it like the last, it's the last time I'm ever going to do it because Mm -hmm. then for one, you don't have regrets, right? Because you can't change the past. You can learn from it and you can't change the future. The only thing you have control over is right now, but you still have to enjoy the process Yeah, because you, you really want to love what you're doing, right? One of the things that I share with my clients is, you know, the past is behind us, the future is in front of you. And when you're in your body, you're, you're present, you know, and one of the things you cannot weightlift unless you're in your body, you just can't do it. You have to be completely present with weightlifting. Right. Which I totally see that now. If I reflect on the late nineties and early 2000, I didn't know how to do that. It was like an out-of-body experience, me watching myself do these lifts instead of me being present. So if I missed an attempt, I would reflect on, oh, I can't believe I missed that instead of that's behind me. What do I need to do right now to make this next lift? Yeah. And I think that applies to everything we do, but sometimes it's hard. I needed this because I'm, I'm homeschooling our kids now. <laughs> so I'm going to take this back with me. And remember this message. You're going to harvest, harvest these messages and like, oh yeah. yeah, look at everything I've been through. Right. I can do hard things. I can homeschool. I can do this. Right. Yeah, you can. So it's interesting. I, I'm, I kind of needed that message. So thanks. <laughs> Oh, you're giving me goosebumps again. <laughs> <laughs> now I know why we're doing this today. <laughs> you can find out more about the Holistic High Performance and sign up for our monthly newsletter at holistichighperformance.com. That's holistichighperformance.com. So tell me about Beijing. What was that experience like being at the Olympics? Being at the Olympics was amazing. 
And I, I feel like it was just yesterday. And, you know, it was surreal from the minute I got off the plane until I entered the athlete's village, going into the cafeteria, going to the different venues, up till um, all the training we did there. We trained as a team for a good week before I competed. And I just soaked it up. I mean, it was, it was awesome. I think uh, the morning of competition, I made weight. It was flawless. I ate my oatmeal and, and eggs and things and got in there to get ready to be called out onto the platform to be introduced. And coach Bob Morris, he was the national team coach, sat next to me and he's like, does it feel real? And I was like, no, I mean, it really felt like, oh my gosh, I'm really here. I'm wearing USA. I mean, it was so patriotic. And I mean, we haven't even talked about how we walked in for opening ceremonies, which was the most patriotic experience of my life. Tell me about and that. It, I can't even put into words how amazing it felt to represent the United States of America. I've always loved our country, but when you're wearing red, white, and blue with, what was it, 700 other athletes representing the United States from their respective sport, we walked in through the bird's nest, which was this giant stadium where mm -hmm. they held track and field. And you have this opening like a football tunnel and you can, all you see are the heads of all these athletes and you could hear from the front, USA. Mm -hmm. USA. And all of a sudden the whole crew is chanting it together. It was, I still get goosies yeah. as we walked out into the open, everyone was chanting USA, not just us. And it was amazing. Now I took the early opt route, which meant I did one lap and then I went out the other side, got on a bus and went back because I mm. competed a day and a half later. So yeah. I needed to get off my feet and it was like 105 degrees something crazy. Yeah. It was hot and humid and the smog was so thick you could taste it. So I needed to get out of there, but did um, you watch the ceremony on TV then? Or did oh, you, you could hear it. You can hear it. You yeah. could hear it outside our, yeah, it was electric. Got to watch fireworks. It was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. So you have this really unifying experience of representing your country and, you know, that everyone chanting. And then a day and a half later, you're on the podium and here you are, you're about to go out and compete. And tell me about your experience there. You know, it's not every competition where you get to go out and make every lift and with personal records, but that's exactly what happened. Uh, everything that we wanted on the platform happened. There was the exception. We, we would hope to have an opportunity to do a, an American record clean and jerk at 114. I had done the 113 back in 98, but we knew that if I took 110 after making a personal record, 83 kilos in the snatch, that the total would then be a new American record. And that's what we did. So I made all six attempts ending with personal records and a new American record in the clean and jerk and the snatch combined. Now, I know officially at the time you ranked sixth at the Olympics that year. There yeah. are a few other athletes there more so. Tell me about what happened for you a few years ago. Yeah. So I received a phone call from, I believe it was the International Olympic Committee. And they said, we're sending you a new scroll 
with a new placement at the Olympics because someone ahead of you has tested positive for performance enhancing drugs. So although I play sixth, I have been moved up to fifth place in the Olympics. It's a big deal. So yeah. you've, you've reached your goal. You've made it to the Olympics, something that you know you were looking at in the early 80s. And here you are, it's 2008. What happens next? Well, you know, when I was asked that at the Olympics during the post-competition press conference, I didn't have a good answer. I'm like, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, at that point, we had three kids in our business and Dan was up for election again. And, you know, I, I wasn't sure. And, and Bob Morris again asked me, he's like, so what next? And I was like, I don't know. He goes, well, you have to stay in shape, right? You might as well lift weights. So he was right. He was right. But we, we came back and we decided it was time to have another child. So uh, it wasn't long after the Olympics in 2009, we had a, another baby, Charlie. Mm -hmm. And then uh, about a year and a half later, we got pregnant again with number five, Miss Lily. And so we had Lily and five kids. We were obviously very busy with our gym. We had about 50 employees, 800 to 1,000 students, and we were, we were very busy. So you put the Olympics on the back burner for 2012. You're busy running your gym. You've got five kids that you're raising. And now I know you had some, somewhere in there, you had some turmoil at the gym too, because there was a big oh, yes. an athlete. Can you want to yeah. tell, tell us our audience yeah. about that a little bit? So funny you mention it. It was actually 2012. So 2012. this isn't, isn't why we didn't go to the Olympics or try for the Olympics. But we had a gymnast at our gym. Her name's Jacoby Miles. She fell from the high bar into the pit. And she fell in a way that um, broke her neck and severed her spine. So she is currently considered a quadriplegic. Mm -hmm. She does have a little bit of movement in her trap area, but she can't feel below her forearm and below her chest. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that was a huge life-changing experience for her and, and for everyone at our gym, myself included. I know it had a huge impact on you. Still does. It still, still does. does. Yeah. yeah. So, so one of the things that you've done for that every year, I believe, was yes, you have yesterday, a, yesterday, yesterday we had our eighth annual race. It was a virtual race and, uh, you know, I wore a mask and I socially distanced, but yeah, we, every year we host, it's actually a 5k. We do a 5k and a four mile now where you can join us each year in raising money for spinal cord injuries. Those who are impacted by spinal cord injuries, it's called the run for miles. Now, do you guys have a website or somewhere that people could go to find out more information about that? Absolutely. You can look us up on Facebook, Run for Miles. Um, and then when I say four, it's a number four. And I certainly can uh, give you the email and address for that too. Yeah, we'll include that in the show notes for the show. So when people go, if they're interested in finding out more or want to help support your cause that you're supporting there, um, they can find out more information there on our website. So this devastating event happens at the gym. You've got five kids. All of a sudden, 2016 is four years away. And I met you in 2014. It um, was, yeah, it was May of 2014 when my one of my best friends, Chelsea, she and I um, with Dan opened up a weightlifting facility in our gym, attached to our gym. And 
it was, I don't know, when the weights arrived in their box and I opened them up and I smelled the weights (laughs) (laughs) and I saw the bar and I was like, I have to be the first one to lift these weights. Now, I hadn't touched a bar since 2008. Uh Actually, I guess, yeah, it's amazing when I think about that. We were just messing around. I was just going to work out a little bit. And then it was that fall when Chelsea encouraged me to compete at a local meet. And it was at that local meet where I qualified for the American Open later in 2014. So? (laughs) This is where it gets crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Who does that? (laughs) So at 40 years old, I decided to go to the American Open my 40th birthday weekend. And... um, I pulled out a clean and jerk that was enough to put me number seven on the national team at 40 years old. Made for a very interesting 2015. What did that feel like for you? It was awesome. So weightlifting is like an old friend. I, mm-hmm. I kind of joke about that. but um, And I, I tease too that it's cheaper than therapy. There's something about competing on a stage for me Uh, It's just you and the bar and hundred kilos is a hundred kilos, whether you are in Washington, DC, in your local gym, on an international stage in Beijing, it's just you and the bar always. I was just having fun, (laughs) but I made the team. I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, what now? (laughs) That wasn't really, you know, to be expected, but we were excited. That was, that was a good time. So I'm, I'm imagining there was another conversation on the couch with your husband it kind of just evolved. And I think he was a little gun shy because uh, I, I don't know that he had recovered from what happened in 2008. Uh-huh. That was hard. That was really hard. But it was at that time when I, I found it was actually earlier in that year, a few months before we went to that competition where I met Michael street uh, from Fulcrum Barbell Club. And I was like, do you think I'm crazy? Should we do this? He's like, no, let's do this. Like he was amazing. He sacrificed a lot and of course, that's when I met you, Dan, and and that yeah, I've worked with Michael for years, and um, yeah. he pretty quickly got you in to see me, and we did a few sessions, and then you were like, eh, I don't know about this, and you disappeared <laughs> for a little while, and oh. then and then I think the Pan Am Games popped up. Oh yeah, that was a a freak accident too. So that's a that's a story, right? So it was spring of 2015. And I had seen you a few times, Yep. but again, I, I don't think I, I was, I don't know if my mind's, I was just really busy with taking yeah. care of our gym and your kids. five kids and your gym and yeah. Yeah. And so I wasn't, I look back now and I'm like, darn, if I would have stuck with you sooner, who knows? Right. Yeah. But you can't look back. You can only look nope. forward. But I look at this phone call I received from Phil Andrews, who he noted he's from USA Weightlifting, and he said, "What are the chances that you could get on a plane in a couple of days and go to the Pan American Games and compete? Could you make weight?" I was like, "Yes." Could you do the numbers you did at American Open? I said, "Yes." He's like, "Great, I'll call you back." Of course, I called Michael Street, and I'm like, "Michael, <laughs> I might get to go to the Pan American Games." And of course, I'm like, "What do you think?" He's like, "Yeah." 
That's Actually, if I recall, he wasn't really happy about it because it was disrupting. He had a plan for you. He did have a plan. Yeah. And you were disrupting because you were going to peak sooner <laughs> than he was ready for you to peak. Well, they, it wasn't possible to peak. We had two days yeah. to decide or to go, yeah. right? You're right. I forgot about that. So it was a very spur of the moment decision that I had to make. So uh, Phil calls me back and says, so someone pulled out of the Pan American Games and I know you're number seven, but I went number five, number six, and they can't make weight or they can't go. Yeah. They don't have a passport. They, you know, it interrupts their training or whatever. Yeah. Do you want to go? And I'm like, yes, I want to go. So <laughs> I, I literally got on the plane a couple of days later and went to the Pan American Games. That was in Toronto that year? Yes. Yeah. So here you are. Here <laughs> I stage am. again. <laughs> <laughs> I think I made history as the oldest woman to compete at the Pan American Games in weightlifting. And I, I don't know that I placed at all, but again, we we had no notice. Yeah. And but the, I performed well. I did the numbers that we had done at the But it was also a blessing because wasn't it that year that they changed the rules that you had to have so many competitions to even be able to make it to the Olympics? Yes. So I don't know that we knew at the time, but it was actually my participation in the Pan American Games that made it so I was eligible to compete at the next Olympic trials and or Olympics. Mm -hmm. So fortunately, I got called out for that team because that is what opened the door for us to compete all the way through the Olympic trials in 2016. So I think I pretty much saw you every week after that because doors <laughs> like, had opened. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. and I mean, Michael's way of training was very different than you had under coach Thrush. Correct. And, you know, we kind of rebuilt your structure. I mean, doing structural integration because we went back and addressed a lot of those previous injuries that you'd had. Right, right. Um, so I had really never... struggled. You really struggled early on to kind of like, what's happening? Things are working differently. Oh, every visit, it was like my arm length was different. My leg length was different. Everything started moving differently and it was looser, but tighter. But I mean, it was interesting because I didn't have a full understanding of what you did and what it did after, you know, a few months was amazing. I mean, I was moving like I was in my 20s and all those old injuries and scar tissue and, and things that had built up that made it difficult for me to get in proper positions, you were able to get out. And I thought relatively fast. It and was. I mean, you were dedicated. You were there. You were, you were not only working with me, but I mean, you were training with Michael Street twice a day, mm -hmm. five days a week, six yeah. days a week. Yeah. And these aren't short training sessions. I mean, you were doing two, three hours in the morning. You'd often come see me and then go two, three hours with him in the evening. Yes. Yes. And when you weren't doing that, you were at home in the hyperbaric chamber. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so once again, you'd kind of amassed a team around you. And I know you had some other things that you were doing as well to kind of support yourself and getting your whole family on board because you were gone a lot. Yes. Once again, it, it became a group effort. And I mean, the good news was it was only a year and a half. It wasn't a three-year commitment. And I think that made it possible. But my business partner, Chelsea, took on a huge role 
she took on the whole thing and that was a big deal. I mean, she made a lot of sacrifices as well as my husband. My mom helped again. Um, she didn't move in with us this time. We had too many kids, but we had a lot of help and this high level competition, it's no joke. And you have to have a group of people surrounding you to take care of the the needs. It reminds me of, you know, every time you watch a movie and you get to the end and you see the scrolling of credits of the hundreds and hundreds of people that it takes to make that hour and a half of entertainment you just watched. Right. You know, it's the same thing to get to that level of, you know, whether you're writing a book or you're competing, you know, it's really a team effort and having all of that support and that self-care. Right. Yes. So 2015, you're working with me, you're trying to figure out what the hell is going on with my body. Michael's got you doing these progressions through your system. (laughs) Things start to click. You're getting stronger. And then I went with you and Michael down to Reno, Nevada for the American Open again. Yes. Yes. And, you know, that was an amazing competition. And we got second place there. And the first place gal ended up coming up positive for performance enhancing drugs. And it wasn't until a year later when I was sent her medals Mm -hmm. and I actually did win that competition. So, I I mean, I was 41 and, you know, it was, it was awesome. We had a great year. 2015 was a great year and uh, we made a lot of progress. You did. Yeah. So rolling around to 2016, you're getting ready. It was a, busy beginning of the year for you. There was a lot going on in your life. Yes. A lot of unexpected turns took place. Mm -hmm. And I feel like although weightlifting was the avenue at which we got to the end of of our experience competing at the Olympic trials, Mm -hmm. it was kind of a life-changing thing as far as the emotional work that we did that year. Um, Mm -hmm. I feel like we did a lot of physical work in 20. 15, but 2016, I think shaped where I am now even and in a lot, us, of, a lot of ways. Do you have examples or can you tell us more about that? It was, I think in March. So just a few months before the Olympic trials and I was actually at your office and I received a text message from a friend of mine, an acquaintance at the time who owned a local gym, gymnastics mm-hmm. gym. And he said in his text, would you consider selling your gym? And I looked at you. I think I was like, oh my gosh, look at this. And it really was pretty fast. At that point, I said, as I recall, there was a bit of hell no, because he had a very different training philosophy than your gym had. (laughs) A little. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But then you started looking at all of the options and what would that do for you and the possibilities. And yeah, I went home that night and I talked to my husband and at first I cried Mm -hmm. because the thought of letting the gym go was too much. It was something, I mean, I'd been doing for 20 years of your life. You'd have this gym longer than your children Yeah, at that point. And I I had, yes, longer than my, I'd been married longer. You know, I had it before I was married. And I think if I hadn't been surrounded by you and Michael Street, I don't know that I would have had the strength emotionally, mentally, and physically to see the opportunity in that 
and what that would mean for our family. You know, our family needed me, but I was so busy at the gym mm-hmm. and I, I don't know that I would have recognized the opportunity because our oldest son was, you know, a sophomore in high school mm-hmm. and boy, I look back now because it, it was relatively fast within a few days. We sat down with him and signed an agreement to sell him the gym. I think yeah. it was like the weekend after the Olympic trials. Yeah. It was, it was life-changing and it was fast. Yep. And, uh, and yeah, you've I'm, been preparing yourself for it. I didn't know it, but yes, yes. All the time I had spent doing the holistic work that we'd done, preparing me for the Olympic trials mm-hmm. also prepared me emotionally for the transition of letting that gym go. Yeah. So it wasn't a perfect training cycle because I was under a great deal of stress. Yes. I was, you know, it was an emotional experience letting that gym go. And that, that was pretty taxing. Mm -hmm. And then I found out six months after the Olympic trials that I was actually going through menopause during that time, which is something that a 41 year old doesn't normally go through. So it wasn't even on my radar. So there was some general fatigue and hot flashes, which I thought was just a (laughs) pre-workout. You were working out all the time. I mean, your body didn't have a difference. You know, it was, there was no time to drop into those feelings. And, you know, occasionally you would drop into them in the office and (laughs) it was disorienting for you oftentimes. Doesn't it explain all the emotion? (laughs) It plays a part. Yeah. Because you were letting go of another part of you as well during that process. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was a complete transformation and life change in every aspect, physical and emotional. And again, I didn't know at the time that we were making these changes physically. Mm-hmm. So I, I had this general fatigue that I thought was the training effect, but we still trained through it and we still went to the trials and there was a mistake somehow on the actual platform. It wasn't a, a coaching error or anything, but I ended up getting an extra snatch attempt out of it. And I did make the last snatch, which was I think 77 kilos, but it was called out for a press. And Mm -hmm. I came out for the clean and jerk at 98 and made it. Uh, So I had a a relatively good day, but it was the culmination of a a really wonderful couple of years. And I, I celebrated just being there competing at 41 years old. It was my second Olympic trials, but I guess third Olympic experience uh-huh. on in 2000 yeah. and sat and, and I guess it was my third Olympic trials actually. So I'd, I'd gone in 2000 and, and had to sit in the stands and watch. And then I'd gone in 2008 and made the Olympic team. And then of course, 2016, just being there was amazing. And you had your family again in the stands watching and, you know, your team of support people who are all there with you. And yeah. How has life changed since that happened? Wow. So selling the gym was the hardest decision that I've ever made, but the most rewarding thing I've ever done. And being able to be more present in the lives of my children and enjoying the last two years of my son's high school experience was awesome. And I don't regret it at all. It's been an amazing experience. Any chance of you getting underneath the barbell again? 100% chance. (laughs) (laughs) I guarantee at some point I will get back on the, on the stage. I think exciting to hear (laughs) under this whole COVID-19 
you know, pandemic situation, I figure it gives me a few years to get ready because I don't think we're returning to, to the national stage quite yet. No. But again, weightlifting gets in your blood and it never leaves. You know, I look forward though. I think my kids are starting to to lift weights and show an interest. So I think the next time you see me, you're going to see me with uh, my gaggle of geese. I think you're going to see some of my children on the platform with me. You had one pop up there a few minutes behind you, poking their head around the corner. So. Is that Lily? <laughs> They're not there now. They kind of oh, went back, but yeah, yeah it was very yeah. sweet. That was Checking to see if I was still going. So you're kind of grooming your children to take over the, on the podium for you. One of the things that the pandemic has done for our family is helped us reflect on what we can do with our time. Because yeah. I mean, it's easy to sit in front of a device all day. Yeah. And that goes for adults, right? Definitely. Watching is huge. But for mental health, not just physical health, we've made it a requirement to get that freedom on a device, you have to do something with your body. And I don't care what you do. You can go on the treadmill, you can walk around outside, you can rollerblade, pogo stick. Uh, but I think what's happened is they've seen me lifting weights every day. Mm -hmm. And gradually, one at a time, they've joined me. And I didn't ask them. I mean, I'll offer, you want to join yeah. me? If they don't want to, I don't say anything. Yeah. But I think they understand now because they've done it enough that they see the value and they enjoy it. And now they're starting to ask me, when are we lifting today? Which is like a dream come true for me because I've wanted them to lift weights forever. So uh, I'm thankful for that time that we get. And I have to, you know, be thankful for this opportunity during the pandemic. That is so wonderful and delightful to hear. And, you know, a good message for everybody out there to put down your device, get outside, move your body because it's so important to be in balance and you know, right. it's a great way to do it. So, well, we call it a body break during school. So we'll be sitting during school cause I'm homeschooling four of the kids. And my oldest son is on a mission for our church in Salt Lake city right now, waiting for Peru to open up. We hope that's his original call. Mm -hmm. But, um, when my youngest daughter's nine starts getting wiggly, which is pretty much after about 20 minutes. <laughs> she's like, can I, can I do some pull-ups? Can I go on the treadmill? I need to move. I need a body break. So, you know, those body breaks are good for all of us, adults included. Definitely. Well, Melanie, it's been such a delight to reconnect with you. And thank you for sharing your story with our audience. I'm so grateful uh, to have worked with you. And I'm so grateful to have spent this last hour with you. Thank you, Dan. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Holistic High Performance Podcast. You can find all the past episodes of the show by visiting holistichighperformance.com. Please subscribe to the show to listen to future episodes. We release new episodes every Monday and Thursday. This show would not be possible without the help of our team. We wish to thank our executive assistant, Harlow Brummett Dunn, our producer and chief technical officer, Dan Harmon of DH Productions, our podcast mentor, Angel B. Hartwell, the host and executive producer of the Wickedly Smart Women podcast. Our theme music was composed and arranged by Luca Millard Kish. On behalf of the whole team, we wish to thank you, our listeners.